you are about to see the first public exhibition of an entirely new form of entertainment. You are about to see. You are about to see. That belongs in a museum. You are about to see the first public exhibition of an entirely new form of entertainment. That belongs in a museum. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Treasury Cast, the show that celebrates the greatest comics format of all time, the Treasury Edition. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, I'm your host Rob Kelly, and this month we have a very special guest, friend of the network, making what your only second appearance on a podcast? My, my brand second appearance. That's right. <laughs> second my, appearance. My, my first appearance with an American podcaster. There we go, Terry O'Malley. Hi, Terry. Hello, Rob. I'm so thrilled am- to be here. This is quite a, quite a pleasure. I am so thrilled to have you here. As I, I said, it, you and I uh, broke bread, among other things, at the <laughs> – I don't know why I said that. It's not like we attacked somebody. Uh, at the Boston Fan Expo last year, and we had a really great time. It was so fun to get to meet you after, after talking uh, over online for, for so while. So this is just great. I'm just so thrilled to have you here. Uh, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm so glad there's something I can talk to you about. All right. Yeah. Well, there's lots of things. So uh, we're we're here to talk about limited collectors edition number C45, more secret origins of supervillains, or as the cover said, more secret origins supervillains. On this <laughs> cover, right. there's no I just there. noticed they just left that out. But okay. <laughs> but before we get to the book in question, I mean, Terry, since this is your first time on the show, I want to ask you, like, what, if any, is your history with the Treasury format? Um. I started collecting comics in summer of 1976. Oh, man. Sweet spot. Yeah. Uh, except I was for the first several months, it was very, very limited in what I was buying. I mean, literally just one or two books per month. Um, this particular book and the um, famous first editions of San- Sensation Comics, I had already got. We um there was a family in our in our town who uh, would give us their kid. Their kids are older than us, my, me and my sisters. So we would get their clothes every once in a while from the, to the church, I think. And sometimes there were comic books, including these two comics. Wow! It, well, oh yeah, that was the, that was so exciting. I had been reading comics, but not collecting comics, and you know the difference. And yes. so, but so these big ones, these stuck around. And so when I started buying comics, and I'm looking now, right now, at Mike's amazing world of DC Comics <laughs> to figure out which ones I would have been buying first that would have been around. Looks like the first one I bought, was it? Yes, it was, because I don't have it anymore. That's why I'm so angry about it. The Batman Rash Al Ghul Treasury Edition. Oh, that was my oh, okay. first treasury that I bought. I paid two bucks for that. Yep, well, and, that was a lot of money back then, and well worth it, man. That was a yeah. great, and that Neil Adams and Irv Novick art at that size, it was just gorgeous. And then, um, then I was buying most of the superhero ones, and now, now you got me think. I got a, I got them all upstairs, although half of them are in my daughter's room. She has commandeered many of them. Oh, that's that's adorable. Oh yeah, I was telling her about this comic. I'll tell you more about her comments later. Um, 
so yeah, I got Superboy and the Legion. I got Superman Muhammad Ali. I got Superman and Spider Man at a one of the first conventions I went to. Uh, I got Superman Shazam, and uh, I got the movie thing, the movie tie-ins, the famous first edition of Superman. Mm-hmm. So yeah, most most I didn't buy any of the Rudolphs, and maybe I should have. But <laughs> <laughs> somebody bought those things. I don't yeah. know who it was, but somebody bought them. They kept making them. People kept buying them. Mm-hmm. Was, yeah, so I, I was buying a, what I could. The DC ones. I never saw any of the Marvel ones. They, you never, they never, really? You never even saw them like on for sale? I don't believe I did. And, huh. I, and the contents then didn't interest me anyhow. Okay. All right. That's amazing. So you were, yeah, you were like me. You were seeing them on the stands as they were coming out. That's, That's right. That's so exciting. Oh, man. I, I can – I just – I still have so many vivid memories of going to news, going to newsstands uh, where they would rack the comics on a shelf as mm-hmm. opposed to a spinner rack, yep. and I would always look to the back because, of course, in the back row was where the treasuries would be. And if yeah. I saw anything poking out above the rest of the comics, I was like, <gasps> "Yeah, you know, it was just so exciting to see these books." So. But, but you know what really was when I started buying with the ads. They had those full-page ads in DC oh, the Comics, house ads, yeah. the, all oh. the old ones that you couldn't buy anymore. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh, yep. I did. I never ordered anything by mail, but oh yeah, that was. Oh, I want that one. I want that one. I want that one. Especially yeah. the, the Golden Age reprints. I was really into that. The Golden Age stuff right away, right from the beginning. Yeah, the DC really made them seem. You know, they made them seem special. Occasionally, they would put a little banner across one that would say "Sold Out." Yep. Yep. And he's like, oh, I missed it. It's gone forever. You know, I'll never find this again. So, yeah, they, they really knew how to market these things. So, that well, that's amazing. That's really cool that you get to bought them right off the newsstands. I mean, that's super cool. Did you, did you have this one? Uh, well, I'm sorry. I mean, did you did – you, do you still have this one I meant to say? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's all beat up. <laughs> you know, a couple of the corners are gone. There, there are creases uh, along the bind. I'm, I'm surprised the cover is still on. The cover is still on, though. Durable little things, aren't they? Yeah, <laughs> especially if you don't cut off the back. Well, they, yeah, that's. <laughs> yeah. We'll get to that at the end. There's a die-cut uh, cover that you can you can mar your comic book if you want to. Oh, well, but very you, cool. You just reminded me, though. Um, my 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 comic book reading friend back then, sixth and seventh grade, Russ Hodge. Uh, he got the Justice League Treasury. Oh, that's a great before. One. I, yeah, that's what, and I, that was like one of those things, man. I I wish I had this. I want this. I'm gonna buy the next one I see. But I, that's one of those I never saw. That was right right before I started buying stuff actively. So I I never saw it on the stands. But oh man, yeah. Oh, that's oh, I love that. One. We haven't gotten to that one on the show yet. Yeah. I got to get to that. One. I, that was a really good one. I need it just for the back cover for my Justice Society collection. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair enough. Well, said so this book is, like I said, it's limited collector edition C45, more secret origins of supervillains. It was on sale March 4th, 1976, and it features a cover by Dick Giordano, very, really super poster-like image of a bunch of supervillains. We've got Bizarro, Captain Boomerang, Catwoman, Scarecrow, Mirror Master, Mr. Mixes, Pitalik, Vandal Savage, the Matter Master, Cheetah, and the Shark bursting through a uh, some sort of like paper-type Billboard. is <laughs> a billboard. Yeah, really. A billboard of the Justice League. Now, I will say uh, this is a great cover. It's very poster-like. Uh, it's, there's like the cityscape and the white background. And you can see these images, of course, on the website, findwaterpodcast.com. Even as a kid, though, and I love Hawkman. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. Even even as a kid, and I love Hawkman, I hate the fact that Aquaman is not on the <laughs> You see, I of course, I should have realized you were going to say that. I was thinking... 
this is one of the most deceptive covers in an industry that may thrive on deceptive <laughs> covers. On Superman Salutes the Bicentennial, yeah. this is a very deceptive cover. <laughs> featuring a scene like nowhere, nothing like this in this book. Right, There's and no featuring biz- characters yeah. that do not appear in this book. Oh, yeah, yeah cool. Bizarro, Bo- Captain Boomerang, Scarecrow. I'm going to buy – hey, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. At this point, DC had already cut the page count. Uh, to their treasuries down from 80 to like 64. And so that meant basically oh. that one one story uh, that would typically have been in these treasuries got cut. So now we're only down to four stories. But, yeah, I mean, it's a great cover. I mean, stick to your oh, yeah. If there was anybody as if, – if DC ever came so close to having a house style – it was Dick Giordano. So it is, a, but it is a little disappointing that some of the villains here just are only here uh, in the special features. And we'll get to those in a moment. But I mean, the, the the cover itself is beautiful. And I have to wonder, like, how they pick this. I mean, Matter Master. Well, really, I, I was going to ask you: Do you have any insight as to how this book was put together? I have an. I have some guesses. I really don't. I mean, I know that these were put together mostly by E. Nelson Burwell and then a series of staffers. Yeah. Uh, But in terms of, I mean, we can guess that the the four origins that we're going to get to are Catwoman, Mirror Master, Mr. Mixes, Pitalik, and um, uh, uh, the Cheetah. And so, I mean, I'm guessing it's like, well, we want to do something with Batman. We want to do something with Superman, something with Flash, our marquee characters. More than that, they're Julie Schwartz books. That's true. Ben Nelson That's true. was Julie's assistant. That's true. So it's one of the I, – but I, I – in my mind, it's one of those, oh, we need another treasury. Uh, okay, Nelson, just, just get something for you. Right. So I think it's all <laughs> – right. you know, the stories he felt like things. There's no, there's no overall theme. No. Um, these are uh, characters who hadn't really appeared very often. I mean in, if the cover was prepared – in anticipation of a larger page count, was there a Captain Boomerang story prepared? Was there a Bizarro story prepared? And Bizarro hadn't been around for many, many years at that point. So it's just, yeah, yeah. But, but Nelson had is, his own way of thinking about these things. He did. There is a history of DC having to amend covers. There's a Christmas special uh, that Chris, Chris Franklin and I covered a couple years ago. With where Captain Marvel Jr.? The Captain Marvel Jr., right, yeah. and he's on the cover in the ads, and then when they published the book, he was edited out because they cut the page count yeah. down. So some of these covers were probably done maybe because, of course, Dick Giordano was, was, in, <clears throat> was in the offices uh, a lot of the time, and he was on staff at DC Comics. It wouldn't surprise me if they were maybe, you know, every so often were like, hey, we might do a treasury of this. Here, Dick, draw this. Yeah. And we'll put it together. We'll slap it on the cover when we're ready. And maybe at the time they thought, well, you know, we'll draw a bunch of villains and maybe we'll see who could fit in here. But, I mean, it's just sort of funny to me that it's like of some of the villains like Vandal Savage, the shark, Mattermaster. Yeah. Like those are kind <laughs> of more on the obscure sort of thing. Again, no Aquaman villain, which makes me very sad. I have to move past that. <laughs> so, <laughs> you, want, you want the fisherman busting through the big billboard? Black manna, I mean, for Pete's sake. But anyway, no, it's a very, very handsome cover. It's a bizarro Catwoman. It's it's really nice. So, and the, on the, the inside, blue on the background is really striking. That nice yes, deep blue, the white background. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's it's very nice bifurcated. It's really it's a very handsome image. So, uh, because in the, the inside cover is just the table of contents showing you what you're going to get, and then there's some DC, some extras which we'll talk about. And then the first page we get is a full – and this is going to repeat throughout the book – is a full-page shot of Catwoman introducing uh, her story, uh, which clearly when you look again, you figure out the page count of these books. 
DC realized that they probably had just enough extra pages that they had to put material in, but not enough for another whole story. Yeah. So this is why you kind of have this stock art of Catwoman saying, I'm the Catwoman, and I first met the Bat- the Batman in his very first issue of his own magazine. It wasn't until many years later that my real name and origin were revealed, and small wonder. And even until then, even I didn't know the truth. And so she's just introducing the story, which again indicates that the story we're about to read is not Catwoman's first appearance. It's mm-hmm. her origin, which yep. of course is the theme of the book. What do you think so about the, that, that illustration? Do you think it's something that was enlarged to a much smaller panel? I think so. Yeah. I think so. It's a, li- it's a little loose. I'm not sure who drew it. Um, if you look at, like, say, the ha- her, her right hand, it looks very, very loose. So, yeah, I think that's – this is all – I bet the right stock- hand was added afterward. Could be that. Well, that's true. Could be that too. Yeah. So, yeah, I think these are all yeah. uh, drawings from some comic book that were then statted and enlarged. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't uh, – the, the artwork doesn't hold up. In fact, well, I don't want to say it doesn't hold up. It looks very nice. But you can just sort of tell that it's a tinier image that's been blown up. Yeah. And, in fact, uh, when we get to the cheetah, I'm going to have a, a, a little notation about that where I saw <laughs> this drawing in another comic book. But anyway, the first story is it's called The Secret Life of the Catwoman. It's from Batman number 62. It's by Bill Finger, Lou Schwartz, and Charles Paris. Uh, the gangs are Mr. X terrorizes Gotham City and decides he wants to work with Catwoman, who is broken out of jail. Mr. X offers a plan, offers to plan heists and have Catwoman commit them so they can share the loot. When Catwoman leaves her hideout, she finds Batman and Robin waiting for her. When it looks like Batman will be killed by some falling debris, Catwoman, instead of escaping, leaves to save Batman's life and gets hit in the head by a brick. They wake up. They wake her up in the Batcave, and it's revealed that Selina Kyle was a stewardess who fell out of a crashing plane and got amnesia. Kyle is horrified to hear that she's become a criminal in her amnesiac state. Batman asks about her obsession with cats, and she explains that her father used to own a pet store. He taught her all about cats, and she subconsciously remembered that through her amnesia. Gordon asks Selina to go undercover and help them take down Mr. X. Catwoman pulls several heists for the criminal, although crime now disgusts her. Batman and Robin fight her on a giant cash register, but this is a ruse so they can fake being captured. Catwoman takes them back to Mr. X, who locks them alone with a time bomb. Mr. X tells Catwoman he knows about her treachery and has dragged her off a cliff. Batman and Robin escape in time to rescue her and punch out Mr. X's thugs. In the aftermath, Selina Kyle officially retires from her career as Catwoman. However, Batman insists that the police may still need her as an operative sooner than she thinks. <laughs> All right, so Terry, what do you think of this story? This is um, – I like it more than I used to, um, and that's because it took me a while to get into the 1940s kind of Batman stories. I'm One of the first um, – when I started collecting, I was fortunate enough to get the Batman from the 30s to the 70s book, so I was well-versed in all this stuff. Right. But, you know, but I started buying stuff because of – especially Batman because of how Batman looked by Neil Adams, by Irv Novik. By Mike Grell. So, and those kinds of stories as well, the Denny O'Neill stories. So these are always tough for me. But I like it great now. I love these kind of things. I even – I can accept this stuff needs to be taken at face value. I mean if I was reading a story like this more recently, I would think of, of Catwoman, Selena Kyle, as an unreliable narrator. <laughs> <laughs> she wakes up in the back cave and says, oh, yeah, I had amnesia. Uh, which is one way of telling the story, but it's also by now it's kind of corny. So I like it as it is. Yeah, she had amnesia. But it's, it's curious as to why um, they want to get rid of a character like Catwoman. 
or maybe they try to think of something else to do with her. Yeah, I mean, it's, it reminds me a little bit of, uh, I think, in the very first Joker story, Joker dies. Mm-hmm. And I think they realized, oh, no, 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 this is too good. And so, yeah, I'm, Bill Finger must have been like, he probably never figured there was any chance we're going to get rid of Catwoman because, again, she's just too good of a villain at that. Even yeah. this early on, uh, she was still too good. But, I mean, it's sort of funny that the amnesiac thing uh, kind of uh, got reused again by Mike W. Barr in his Detective Comics run, which uh, they covered over on Nightcast, where mm-hmm. Catwoman uh, was a good became a good guy eventually, and then Joker subjected her to shock treatment, which sort of shocked her back into being a villain. Uh, which is again, they're sort of playing up the whole amnesiac yeah. thing, which I sort of like. I mean, the whole thing of her falling out of a plane. Is like well, all right. I mean, jeez. Okay. I mean, I don't. I don't think you get amnesia for falling out of a plane. I think you just die. She fell, you out, fell out, the, of a plane? out the door just as a plane crashed. She hit her head against a branch. Yeah. I mean, that that would probably take your head off. <laughs> yeah, I would probably. think it really wouldn't just well, give you amnesia. But uh, but okay. Um, this is. I, I love how dense this story is. I mean, there's just like yes. a lot of dialogue. I there's mean, you, so these are much. these are really really dense panels. I mean, it's just like wow. And the Bill plot was is, really... just, is stuffed within an inch to, to fit in here. Right. I didn't even mention the whole. No, twist you can't. At the end, you can't get around to that. Right. It's hardly set up at all. It's set up in one panel. Yeah, basically, it's that Mr. X has a henchman who doesn't like Catwoman, and then you find out that Mr. X is the henchman, yeah. that it was, it was a whole blind. By the way, I really kind of like the design for Mr. X. He just has, like, a yellow uh, fedora with, a, like, a little, I don't know what you'd call that, like a little handkerchief in front of like his. He looks like the sportsmaster. sportsmaster, yeah. yeah, exactly. And he's got a magenta suit. Like, he actually looks kind of cool. With huge shoulder pads. Yes, yeah. he looks really cool. I actually really like this design. I it's, don't think Mr. X ever came back, but he's, he looks kind of cool. It's not unlike what they would do for the serials. They have the bad guys in all the action serials. Yep, yep. It's, it's, it's an easy costume to make. Yeah, yeah, basically. Uh, I said it's 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 a fun story. I mean, again, you know that yeah, Catwoman is obviously going to come back or whatever. But, yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's funny about how early on that like they established that you know, she was – like right from the very beginning, it was she was always met as someone of a love interest for Batman. Yeah, not uh, a killer even from the nineteen forty. Yeah, not a yeah. killer. Right? She was. I mean, she was. She was a, a kind of like a Robin Hood type. Well, that's probably that's probably being a little generous. <laughs> but I mean, she wasn't like a mad killer like Two Face or Penguin right. or, or Riddler or whatever. So, but yeah, it's it's a fun story. I mean, it's it's said it's. I don't know. Um, I actually – I'm not that familiar with, with Lou Schwartz as a penciler. Um, I like Charles Paris as an inker. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the anatomy here is a little a little rough in some wonky places. It's, it's, I don't, it's the Kane style though. I mean, it's the house it style. Yeah, it is. I don't know if um, necessarily the treasury format does the artwork any favors exactly except for the fact that it does just make it easier to read because i would yeah. imagine trying to read this any smaller would be hard just because i mean bill finger was really piling on the words yeah and, and i'm also looking now i'm look, looking just scanning over the panels it's a nice way of laying out things with the circular panels sometimes and there's also a lot of fluidity there's a lot of action even when uh there's nothing much happening uh the cat in the radio studio just to set up the mm-hmm. crime um, Selena remembering things. There's there's movement it, with the flashback things. So that's that's cool to see. Yeah, I did. I said you mentioned the thing with the scene where the the cat jumps into the the you know, the into the room, and you actually see the cat across the panel, yeah. and then he leaps he leaps from the panel from the left into the panel on the right. 
breaking the panel border and bringing your uh, eye to the next panel. Yeah, bring your eye to the next panel. So it's like, so it's pretty cool. I like it. In fact, if anything, the, to me, the weakest part in this thing is Batman. Yeah. Uh, they kind of draw him very wide faced, which I kind of don't like. And as you said, it's kind of the Bob Kane house style a little bit. Um, but uh, I mean, some artists would break further away from that than others. But I mean, I like Catwoman is in her classic costume. Yep. Uh, the you know the the purple dress and the green cape, and so she looks really fabulous. So yeah, it's a pretty it's a fun story. Yeah, it is. All right, so it was a cra- crazy, crazy solution though at the end with the- <laughs> yeah, <I can't. laughs> but that's not unusual. But it's clever, okay. But still, uh, how much rice? How much? How far can rice swell? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It is a, like wait, wait what? Cold uh, yeah, water. I don't know. yeah. I've, I've had a, it takes me a long time to cook rice yeah. know, as opposed to Robin, which cooks it in a it's like it's not popcorn, no. it's rice, you know. <laughs> But okay. Uh, so anyway, so the next story is the Mirror Master, and there's another single page shot of the Mirror Master introducing the story. He says, "Sam Scudder, that's me, alias the Mirror Master. I'm one of the Flash's most oldest and dangerous foes. And here's the complete tale of my first clash with the super fast foe when I almost beat him, and it was done with mirrors." So all right, Terry, take it away. All right, Flash, the Master of Mirrors, from Flash number 105 by John Broom, Carmine Infantino, and Joe Giella. At the Central City Bank, Sam Scudder walks in with civilian clothes on and walks up to a bank teller to exchange larger bills for singles. As the banker is distracted, Scudder takes out a small pocket mirror to capture the individual's image from all angles before leaving the bank. Outside the city, Mirror Master develops the bank teller's image with his camera mirror. Sam thinks about his original discovery of these gimmick mirrors when he was in jail years ago. He remembers he painted the wrong material onto a mirror and thought he had ruined it. When he looked into it and saw images that had been reflected in the mirror earlier, he found that this mirror retained an image for several minutes before disappearing. Since leaving jail, he's improved his techniques and can now print 3D images from the mirrors. He prints up a mirror image of the teller from the bank and sends him back to the bank to steal money for him. Barry Allen, happening to be in the bank at the time, notices that there is something amiss about the manager, as his hair is parted differently than before, and his wedding band is on his right hand, so he decides to follow him. Barry changes into the Flash to follow him, but soon finds Wilkins moving just as fast as the Flash can. At a secluded house, Flash finds many mirrors around the house, and cannot tell which is the real Wilkins, and which is just a mirror image. Flash grabs a paint bucket and starts painting the walls to remove the mirror illusions. He then turns off the electricity in the house and finds the Mirror Master in the dark and quickly apprehends him. The Flash explains he realized these were items powered by light, so if he turned off the power and lights, he figured his mirror creations would disappear. Later, resuming his civilian identity, Barry goes on a date with Iris and fills her in on the story. All right. Thank you, Terry. what What did you think of this? I mean, this... I was when I was doing the research and this is from flash one Oh five. That is the flash's first issue. The first new issue. That's right. Yeah. I mean, so, so mirror master is ground floor. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's not, he's not the turtle who appeared in showcase number four yep. along with the flash, <laughs> but I mean, he's about as early as you can get. Uh, so that's, that's kind of amazing. Uh, so what did you think of the story? I liked it. What I especially like was Carmine's work on this. Mm-hmm. Um, Sam Scudder looks like Sam Scudder. His nose is distinct and consistent. 
throughout the whole story. Even when he's got his mask on, you know it's Sam Scudder. I love that. It's terrific. Uh, I love how both Flash and Mirror Master, when they're in their uniforms, are not super huge bulky guys. Right, yeah. Flash is lean. Flash is really lean. And and Mirror Master is kind of – he's not going to – a baggy suit, which is is cool. It's a great – Great thing. It's a cool gimmick. I like the gimmick of the mirrors, the special mirror by accident. He figures stuff out. I wasn't crazy about the giant mosquito <laughs> or the minotaur thing, but yet we got we to put the pages in. But the, <laughs> but the panel where Flash is holding the cape for the minotaur, that's another great drawing by Carmine. Mm-hmm. And, the, one, and the panel where he captures the mirror master, it's in the dark. There's so much. I love that oh, panel. It's, it's so toth-like, isn't it? Yes, it's I thought it was such a fun thing to put it in darkness. For yeah. I mean, I, I mean, obviously, Flash turns off the lights, but I mean, I love that it's it's all just these deep shadows. That is such a great yeah, panel. It's so so much ink is spilled on that panel, and nevertheless, Mirror Master is giving a dirty look to Flash. Hey, what are you doing? Flash is just grabbing him. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's it's so awesome. It really is terrific. It's a it's the. It's so clean to look at. It's no wasted lines. Things move very easily. Those great Central City, Infantino cityscapes. I'm looking at one, uh, but I don't know. There's no page number here. Uh, Flash is chasing the, the bank teller image guy, and there's a panel in the middle of the page where it's oh, an that, overhead that big shot. Down shot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's traffic. There are pedestrians. There are different kinds of buildings. There's a mm-hmm. construction site. There's a there's a tiny little person looking through the fence at the construction site. I mean, oh god, there is. You're right. <laughs> I mean, that's he didn't have to put that in, but it, yeah. it breaks up. The, I mean, you don't have to linger on any of that image, but to get a sense of what's going on in that, uh, and to make Central City more of a of a real place. And even in the bank, the design in the bank, the marble walls, the spaciousness of the curtains. It's it's just it's just a beautiful piece and a nice fast little story. I really like it. Yeah, um, I, it's sort of funny that Mirror Master is ahead of the curve on three D printing. Yeah, at this point, <laughs> uh, I mean, and once one again, the, villains wasting their time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just stuff. patent that. Yeah, don't don't bother robbing <laughs> banks. Just just patent the three D printer, buddy. Uh, I mean, John Broom uh, was uh, he really like infused his stories with. I don't want to say real science because obviously this story is complete falderall. Yeah. But at least there's some nod to science. Yes. You know, which I really enjoy. I like that it's like, okay, I can create these real reflections. And then, of course, Flash realizes the jig is up when he notices that the guy's a backwards it's image. It's a reflection. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's a fun little detail. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just like, I mean, it, yeah. it, considering Broom. we just talked about that, how rice enlarged, yeah. like it was popcorn here, at least John Broom is at least trying to put this world in a slightly more scientifically based world. Broom is playing fair. He get We get a nice close-up detail of what the bank teller looks like. Where his part is. So when the bank teller, the image, the negative image, not negative image, the reverse image is seen reverse again. It, yeah. um, it's it's accurate, but he doesn't. There's no. He doesn't put a pin on it, to, so to say. Mm-hmm. So Barry Barry's just being smart and notices. Wait a minute! I know that fella. He looks a little. Do you? I'm sorry. You and Shaq cannot change the part in your hair. 
but <laughs> <laughs> other other guys can. <laughs> um, and that's like you know you don't say, oh my goodness, he changed the part in his hair. He must be somebody different. No, he just changed his hair. But if you look a little closely, you say, oh, that's yeah, that's odd. And yeah, that's a cool thing with those old Flash stories. They did try to have at least some sort of grounding in it. And just the, the practical effect. Turn off the lights. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. Done. There you go. Done. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. And then once that's done, and, and like I said, I didn't like the part with the the images to the flash, but you need some flashy action in a story. So we got a couple pages of that because, and this uh, most flash stories always should be, once he's figured it out, turn off the lights, grab the villain. It takes three panels because yeah, he's right, the yeah. flash. He can yep. just go get him. He can search the house in four seconds. Yeah, he's having dinner with Iris three panels later. Mm-hmm. It's great. Yeah, it's a really, really fun. Yeah, it's it. It's a it's a really fun story, and you could see why that you know this this really sort of ushered in the silver age of comics. Yeah, they just weren't doing things like this. So yeah, Infantino at this point. I mean, yeah, we're not we're not saying anything, and anybody doesn't already know no. that Infantino was in his element in the 1950s. He was probably at his 50s and 60s at his creative peak, and uh, the Flash was a perfect. You know the perfect character for him at this moment because he gave us such movement, such fluidity, and these and big again, pages do justice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And right. And it's very, very nice. And then the other thing too is like John Broom was on a real roll in that he was giving Flash these new villains practically every issue. That's right. All of all of which are like still around today. Yep. Virtually all these characters they're on TV for. Pizza. <laughs> yeah, he, so. he created some classic villains. Yeah, I mean, he was again. It was sort of like Stan Lee in the beginning, you know. It was just like every character they were com- coming up with was one for the ages. So yeah. I mean, it's really cool. It's a, it's a good good story. Uh, like I said it's very very solid, and, and it seems. And Sam Scudder is a great name for a villain because it, really it sounds is. a little seedy. And Sam it's, Scudder. It's a great gimmick because once you've established, um, okay, we're gonna okay. Here's here's our our slim basis in reality, and now. Things go off the wild. The, the mirrors can do. Uh, the mirrors are magic, essentially. Yeah, <laughs> right. But right. they're not. They're not instantaneously magic. Mirror master can do weird things with mirrors if he's had time to prepare them. He can't just mm-hmm. pull. Oh, here's my you know my my Blu-ray mirror from the from the back corner. No, it's okay. I've designed a new mirror. This will do the thing. Okay, that didn't work. Mm-hmm. Next time I come back, I'll have a different kind of mirror. <laughs> so then, but that's that's the gimmick. And that's easy to understand. We know what a mirror is. He's the master of mirrors. What do they do? They do anything the writer wants them to do for that one story. Yep. Yeah. yeah. It's a lot of fun. It really is a really, really lot of fun. So, uh, so next up is our first bonus feature, which are two pages of wanted posters. And this is where we get a brief little bios of different villains. And I guess this is where DC justifies having various villains on the cover because yeah. now they do appear here. <laughs> the six across um, the top get the cover. <laughs> yeah, just across the top. All right. Now, if you if you are paying attention, you'll notice that the word wanted is the exact same trade dress that you saw on the reprint series that was called Wanted yeah. from the early 70s. DC had a lot of reprint titles, and one of them was a book called Wanted, and it was all reprints of supervillain characters. And so they're reusing that here. And so we get these little bios and there's a little typeset, a uh, little brief little origin. So we have wanted posters for Captain Boomerang, Vandal Savage, Scarecrow, Penguin, Solomon, Solomon Grundy, Solomon Solomon uh, Felix Faust, the Queen Bee, the Top, the Matter Master, the Shark, 
Bizarro, number one. We'll get back to that in a moment. <laughs> Grodd, Brainiac, Two-Face, The Pied Piper, Sonar, Kanjar Row. And I love that for the Bizarro Wanted poster. Not it's written wanted. In, not wanted, spelled incorrectly yep. and backwards and written as if it was written by hand, yeah. which is a nice touch. And written in Bizarro ease. Yeah, I, I love all that. Other, so that's really fun. The other nice little touch from a production standpoint, the wanted posters are not identical posters. And the tacks holding the posters into the wall are also not identical. So someone went in there and changed the left edge of the paper or the bottom edge of the paper of the that's right. wanted yeah, poster. That's right. Or yeah. you know, move all that tack a little more. Different beds and different creases yeah. and stuff. Yeah, again, it's a nice little t- some some DC woodchuck, yep. woodchuck as they were called, <laughs> uh, sat there and did all that. Yeah, it's a nice, it's a, you know, it's a nice little bonus thing. It's cool. I, I am again, I'm sort of flummoxed at some of the villains that, like, I guess maybe they were going for villains that. I mean, this is of course more secret origins of supervillains. Mm-hmm. There was a secret origins of supervillains where they covered some of the other more famous characters like Luthor and Joker. So now we're in kind of like the B team a little bit, which is I always sort of enjoy because of course I know the origin of as a kid, I knew the origin of the Joker. I knew the origin of Lex Luthor, but I didn't know necessarily the origin of Kanjar Ro or mm-hmm. the Matter Master. I'd kinda of like the, the deeper cuts. Well and and when I was a kid when I first read this, I didn't know any of these characters. This is all brand new and exciting for me. Yeah, they're cool. They're really fun. Again, it's a nice little little wait, detail. Wait this a is a center spread. Now I gotta find out. I'm gonna because <laughs> <laughs> the top is here. Now when did the top die? It must have been I, near near this time. I think it was a little bit after this. Huh. A little bit after this because this is '76. Yeah. So I think Spring it was like of '76. I think he. I think he died in like seventy eight. I think or something like that. So no, it wasn't that late. Right. It was before. Oh, it wasn't that late. Okay, flash. all right. Yeah. Well, then he wasn't. He wasn't long for this world at this point. Well, I hope he enjoyed the notoriety that he got here. And by the way, <laughs> the uh, the panel that you could see a lot of different. Uh, most of the artwork here is cribbed from some comic. Oh yeah, movie. these are all yeah. Yeah, I mean, like Photo the Giganta stats. is H.G. Peter. The Queen Bee is from a Justice League cover. The Solomon Grundy is from a Justice League cover because I recognize those comics. Oh, the yeah. Two-Face, you, the Two-Face you saw in another Treasury edition. The Shark, you can clearly see, is drawn by Gil Kane. So that's from yep. a Green Lantern cover. Kendra Rowe. Is from, so they were all cribbing these from different things. And, and, you know, I'm sure, like anything else, it was a job. But that sounds like a fun job to me, though. It, it looks you know, like the like, Two-Face might be from the 40s. I think it is. But, I mean, I would have loved that job. You know, oh, like, yeah. hey, go, go into the archives and find some nice, clean panels for these characters. Like, I just would have been like, oh, man, this is the best job ever. Just sitting here going through old comics looking for panels to stat up. Just, that's just super fun. There it is. The, uh, a quick look here at the Amazing Mike's Amazing World in the Flash cover dated August of 1976 on sale in May. That's when the fl- top died. Oh, so he was—he had like a couple of months left. Yeah, and that was it. Almost okay, simultaneous. Wow. Almost simultaneous action, as the DM would say. Okay. Wow. Look at that. <laughs> look at that. All right. Well, poor top. Yeah. Oh well. You know, Roscoe. Said, this is this was his rap for Roscoe. This was his, his, his swan song, I guess. Uh, so the next story is we have it's Mr. Mix Pitalik, and we have a full another full page shot. This is maybe a little more on the clumsy side because they are really not using the space well. Yes, in this one, <laughs> uh, the Mix is Pitalik is standing on a cloud, which is about two about one third of the page. Uh, and it's a drawing, and he's looking off to the side. I've seen this image used in different places, but I think maybe they 
you know, they maybe could have found a slightly better image to use to yeah. fill up a page because it looks it looks a little coloring book. There's it's a so two simple. color rainbow behind them. Yeah, yeah, this, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No detail in the cloud at all. It's just no, no. It's just a leftover a, word balloon. Yeah, a little too basic. But uh, the story is the Ghost of Jor-El. It's from Superboy number seventy-eight by Jerry Siegel and Joe George Papp. Uh, when Mixes Pitalik, a fifth-dimensional teenager, is penalized by his parents for playing too many pranks with his magic, he goes illegally through a space warp to Earth's dimension. There he sees Superboy and decides to bedevil him with pranks, including an illusion of Jor-El's ghost telling him to leave Earth. But Mixes Pitalik's father, observing the incident, sends Superboy a message revealing that he can banish the sprite back to the fifth dimension for 90 days by getting him to say his name backwards. Superboy does so, and Mixes Pitalik is warped back home, where he faces punishment from his father and vows vengeance on Superboy. Now, okay, not to take this story too terribly seriously, <laughs> but having someone conjure up your dead father, that's kind of a dick move, Mixes <laughs> Yeah, everything he does is a dick move. <laughs> this is well, that's true. Uh, you know, I, I I told you earlier this is my least favorite story. I'm not crazy right. about uh, Mixes Pitalik kind of stories, but just tonight I was realizing how I, uh, how cleanly George Papp draws stuff. It's goofy. Oh, yes. It doesn't make yep. any sense at all. Uh, whales do not live in aquariums. <laughs> <laughs> You know, students just don't walk into classrooms and take over like this. But I do appreciate all of our characters in the story. It's like they know they're in a story and they're playing along. Especially Superboy. We're playing along. Okay, this is going on. I'm, I'm, I'm going to deal with all these bizarre situations. I know they recapped it and talk about the things. There's no, uh, like the giant egg. So Superboy makes a giant omelet and all the kids are very happy about it. It's delicious. Okay, I was outsmarted. I'll do something else. And this is my favorite panel. The imp from the fifth dimension catches three burly burglars as they are looting a rich home. And there's three guys with Beagle Boy masks on. Yeah. One of them in a jacket and tie and a hat. And they're carrying a grand piano out of the house. How did they get it through the door? We can see the door behind yeah. it. Like, how did they get it out? I, the piano is much too wide. Oh, I don't understand. You know, just, and that's it. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a midget detective. You want to go to jail and do me a favor? Oh, yeah, sure. I can lift a piano, but I'm not going to punch a midget detective in the face. <laughs> but so, and, you know, once you get past that, it just you got to just some things you don't say that doesn't fit in the continuity. Yeah, it doesn't. No, fit. Oh, no, no, these no. are these are insane. This is and, exactly it's insane. It's just yeah. fun. It's like flaming carrot with Superboy. Well, it was funny that you say you you mentioned another kind of comic book because I was looking at I was only I'm only you know sort sort of familiar with George Papp's work. I haven't read a whole ton of super of Superman comics from the fifties, so I, I you know I, I'm aware of his work and I've seen some of it here and there, but. To me, it's like if you kind of squint and you look at this stuff, this isn't that far removed from like Mike Allred. It's, yeah. it's kind of similar energy to it where everything is brightly colored. Yep. There you have these very smooth lines and these sort of the way the figures are in the panel. Like, I mean, it kind of and, and the way everything is just crazy. It, like everything's just the characters just appear. Everything happens very quickly in one or two panels. Like it, it really does remind me of looking at kind of like Madman. Yeah. In a, in a weird way. And also, I mean, and looking at it now from that point of view, and getting away from the story, 
there is depth in almost every panel. Mm-hmm. Depth of field, just yep. foreground, yep. mid-ground, and background, even when it, it's not needed. Then um, that's just he's a, he's a, he was he's a professional, you know. <laughs> we could tell the story, and we could get the things moving and give it just enough detail, like what, what Infantino did in the first story, mm-hmm. just enough to give it a sense of of place. There are the, the trees have leaves on them, but not every leaf has to be drawn in. But the blacks are spotted in such a way that it gives you. So you're not supposed to look at the trees. You're supposed to know that they're there. Yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, the guy in the uh, looking through the fence in the Flash story on the last page of the story, it makes Pillick has the radio and he's hearing the yes. news flash. There's a guy just standing in the background smoking a cigarette. Yeah, he's just... Like, just standing there. It's like Hitchcock's cameo. Or something. <laughs> That's George Rapp himself. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like he's hanging you know, out. downtown Smallville. Uh, yeah, that's, right. that's a lot of extra work that he put in. I mean, again, it, it's you, your your tolerance for these stories is you're either going to go with it or not. I mean, you know, you might just say, "Oh, these are so silly." And by the way, it's disturbing to see Mixus Pilik without his derby hat on. Yeah, it is. The other thing, he's got With his like big, Dennis the Menace hair. Eyes. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's it, and seeing him in the Superman costume. But it's yeah, they, like I had never really fully appreciated how completely bonkers these Superman stories were. Yeah. In the 50s. Now, I know Batman was pretty crazy, too, because at this point, Batman was going into alien planets and turning into zebra Batman. <laughs> so everything was going crazy. But, man, these are these things are like almost Dada-esque. It's just yes. stuff just happens because it does. And you just move on. You, you know, know you can't can, worry too much about it. We got three stories a month. We got to crank out for this one mm-hmm. book. So just start cranking them out. Yeah. yeah and it, a, it, and there's a gimmick, but the reverse colors thing and. All right, too cool. That's a cool gimmick. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, it's, just, it's really, yeah, really, really nuts. So, and again, I never, I don't, th- I'd never read this story before until this treasury that the Mixus Pillick had this sort of origin story. I never knew that Mixus Pillick had adventures with Superboy. Yeah, I didn't know that. I knew he bedeviled Superman, but I didn't know he ever went back and did Superboy. So, yeah, this is it's very, very strange. And George Pab. I think he does uh, benefit from a treasury size because yeah. the work is so clean and nice and it holds up quite well. Yes, actually, it does. at a slightly larger size. So um, next up is another page. It's a bonus page. We have costumes of the Catwoman. Uh, why this page is this part in the book as opposed to <laughs> the front where the Catwoman story was, I don't know. Um, but there are these little uh, bubbles and we see all the different varying Catwoman costumes over the years. Of course, initially she just had a dress. She was she was just called the cat. And then we see her in Batman number three where she had a red cape and a cat mask. And then there was another one where she was dressed as a black cat. Then we see her in the costume most people are familiar with, with the sort of bare leg, the, the skirt that was kind of high up. Then we see her in her green costume and then the the uh, the one with the leggings and the tail, which yeah. the Mego figure is based on. And now we have the current version, which is a slight variation of the other one. So, again, I you know, a fun job for some DC staffer to go through the panels and to dig these out and just give a little history. Because, you know, in an age before trade paperbacks and an age before, uh, you know, you could research this stuff, this was fun to see. Yeah. So um, there must have been a production reason why that page is there. Yeah, right. Instead of putting it at the end of the story or something. Yeah, I don't really know. Well, I don't know why I'm, they did I'll flip back to that. If they had put it at the end of the end Catwoman of the Cat story, Woman, they would right? be on the left-hand page. And the Mirror Master's introduction would be on the right-hand page. It means the Flash would be starting on the left-hand page. I don't think that's that big of a deal, though. Um, I think you can think know where to go with well, it. Well... Then it is because then the center spread is off. 
There you go. To that, there you go. Uh, how dare I question the DC production? It's team. all math, you know. It's all math, of course. Of co- <laughs> I can't believe. It. Oh, I'm embarrassed. I got to cut that part out of the show. That's an embarrassment. Of course, they had to, they they were building around the center spread. Yeah, because they had to do the center spread. That makes total that's sense. It, so, that, all right, and, and that's what it comes. You know what? I bet. It, I bet that's what it comes down to. It's it's Nelson. We yeah. put together a treasury edition. How many pages, boss? Thirty-three. Okay. How many stories? Just get thirty-three pages. Got it. I, I, know, it. I know an eight-page story. I know a three-page story. I know an eleven-page story. <laughs> yep. Yep. So, uh, and then next up is for the final story is a single-page image of the cheetah by H.G. Peter, and she's like the cheetah. That's the name I use. I'm the deadly foe of Wonder Woman, crouched for the kill. Now, this image. Uh, a couple of months ago, on the first episode of For All Mankind, my super friends comic show, I noticed in the meanwhile giant, at the Hall of Justice. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice, I noticed that there was an image of the super foes with their their sidekicks, and there was a shot of the cheetah crouching down, and it was drawn by Rick Estrada and Vince Coletta, and I mm-hmm. remembered. On the show, I said with Sean Myers, my guest, I said, I've seen that pose before. I think Rick Estrada just traced it from something or at the very least just borrowed the pose. And I couldn't quite place it. Well, now I know where it is. It's from this. It's this pose. So he clearly just redrew what he saw from an H.G. Peter drawing of the cheetah in this because it's a very kind of awkward pose she's got her yeah. hand up in a kind of weird way like she's clearly like like crouching to hold on to something but that, there it is that's the image that i was thinking of is, is right here that no doubt yeah that's a very strange yeah. position that her, her yeah. left arm it, is in yeah when you when you remove all the background detail these poses are somewhat a little strange the catwoman one works the best in mirror master but Mixes Pitalik and Cheater are a little like, uh, what? But okay, <laughs> we'll deal with it. So uh, that's the final story, and it's Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman and the Cheetah from Wonder Woman number six by William Moulton Marston, who, of course, doesn't exist, and H.G. <laughs> Peter. Uh, Wonder Woman performs at a charity event where she meets Priscilla Rich. Priscilla becomes extremely jealous of Wonder Woman. In a rage, her mind snaps, causing her to don a costume and become the Cheetah, because, you know, that's what you do when you snap into a rage. The Cheetah steals the charity money, then uses it to frame Wonder woman and the charity organizer named courtly darling wonder woman turns herself into the police but it's bailed out by a mystery woman the amazon and darling go to meet the woman who turns out to be the cheetah and fall into her trap wonder woman escapes with the help of steve trevor and at a candy cheetah appears to die in a fire that wonder woman suspects the cheetah's real identity so okay another one where supposedly the villain dies at the end but we know there's no way that's going to happen yeah. because the cheetah is simply too good of a character to get rid of what do you think of this one? Because I, I mentioned this in previous episodes. H.G. Peter, to me, if you look at H.G. Peter's work small, it's almost unreadable. Yes. Because it's so dense. So he actually really benefits from the treasury because you can literally just kind of see what you're looking at. Yeah. Peter is a really acquired taste. And mm-hmm. It's taken me about this long to really appreciate it. doesn't look like it. anything else in comics. No, nothing else. And you're right. At this size, especially with the, he does these bizarre lines on things, like <laughs> almost like Hambeck squiggles, and the, the the solidity of his lines. It's really tough. And but the figures are also stiff all the time, mm-hmm. and the proportions are bizarre. And and mm-hmm. it's odd, but man. He, I gotta admire the consistency of it. 
because it's of it's of itself. It doesn't yes, look these early the, Wonder Woman stories no. don't look like anything else you're ever going to see. No, he's not imitating anybody except maybe he's imitating uh, turn of the century kind of <laughs> illustration style. Everybody looks like a Greek cameo. Yeah, you know, it has that look to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're very, they're very, very. Sh- I when I first saw these as a kid, and I saw like you mentioned that like the Sensation Comics, yep. the Framers First Editions. I was I, as a kid, I was like, "What the hell is this?" You know, like yeah. to me, the, to me, it was like almost they were actually like ugly. Yeah, I've, uh, but I've, I've, never I've grown been able to appreciate to it. Take a look at um, you know the Golden Age Wonder Woman for very long. It's hard to to read these things. Yeah. Um, but but I, again, I like the energy of them. Um, of course, Wonder Woman gets trussed up. Yep. Of course she does because yep. you know William Moulton Marston. Uh, and and you know the, the, these were very very strange stories. And uh, again, I like the I do like the final panel where Cheetah falls into the fire. Uh, you know where the Amazon defeated me by magic. She is not human. If she lives, I die. <laughs> and then we have Wonder Woman, Steve Trader, at a candy, just kind of like, huh? Well, that was kind of strange. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that's the end of this adventure. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, it's, there are some things that I, I I like, and I always liked about the story. I liked um, how Wonder Woman is is wondrous, and she's pretty smart, and she. She gets herself out of the out of the scrapes, chewing it through the mask. It's that's pretty clever. <laughs> Taking the mask <laughs> off her head by using uh, her toes to, to that's you know this is there's 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 a logic to this. There's a flow. There's a reason for things happening. I do like the way that Peter drew her eyes. You know, a lot of the ladies have these big heavy lids. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like uh, Cheetah's peekaboo haircut. Yeah, very Veronica uh, Lake. Very, 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 very. Yeah, I was going to say very Veronica Lake. There is a panel here of uh, of Courtney Darling with her arms around Wonder Woman and kissing her on the cheek, and it's a pretty, pretty, pretty warm embrace. And I mean, knowing what we know about William Moulton Marston, I'm like, there's a whole lot of stuff going on in these stories that they were kind of slipping in. Yep. A little bit. Yep. So <laughs> it's like, all right. And there's even some kind of good girl art. There's a panel where the cheetah is laying in bed or Priscilla, yeah, Priscilla Ridge is laying in bed and she's got like a nightgown on and she's got her legs out. And I'm like, that's okay. It's so tiny. It's hard to see, but it's, it's when you realize these were meant for little kids. Yeah. Like, all right. There's again, there's little extra things going on here, you know, like, okay. And by the way, there is a capital green company storage warehouse where all that rice could have been kept from the Batman. Store. <laughs> is that, is that, this is was that too? different kind of green, you know, and, but this is, uh, the, the thing that I like and things that I dislike the, the, the plot of trying to, to, um, frame one woman. I think that's pretty kind of clever rather than just taking mm-hmm. the money, trying to frame one woman is, is a cool, cool kind of thing. Um, but why, I don't want to. Okay, I don't want to get into that stuff of the clothes and where Wonder Woman sleeps and who Diana Prince is or may not be. Um, but when the thing I like, two things I like. I like how Wonder Woman gets herself and Courtney Darling, darling, out of the trap. And I like how active Etta Candy is. Mm-hmm. Etta's right there. She's uh, she's got the plan. The, uh, the 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 house is on fire. What are we going to do? Well, Edda says, I got a rope. Make a hole in the wall. We'll slide down. Edda's there. She's making the idea. She's no problem. I love that about her. The thing I can't get <laughs> is that Wonder Woman grabs Courtney and goes to the bottom of the of the grain bin. 
Wonder Woman crouches on the bin bottom beneath tons of grain. And with every ounce of her terrific strength, catapults herself upward. That I can buy. I can buy that Wonder Woman can do that. But that guy's already crushed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's not going to make it. He's like, help me. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, no. <laughs> Even if you could swim in the grain and get down to the bottom. The sheer tonnage of it. Yeah. yeah you're just crushed to pulp. Yeah. Well. But, you know, yeah. uh, you, see, I, you can't think about that way. <laughs> no. You just got to think about, cool, she jumps out, she grabs the hook. She swings herself over and she tosses this guy with one arm. That's Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just, so it's a it's a fun story. It again, it's funny that you know they they back in the time. I mean, this is Wonder Woman number six is still very early on, so they weren't really thinking. Oh, these are stories we're going to have to write five years from now. No. So it's like, oh, let's kill the cheetah off. And you're like, oh, yeah, but you're not going to kill the cheetah off because Wonder Woman needs needs villains and every a, month. You know. You and apparently, do... I was was doing the little little tiny research on it, and the the plan was right. They're going to use a cheetah right away. She was she had already appeared in Sensation, or what, it was a simultaneous appearance, but took place after this or something. But yeah, they knew they had something there. They weren't going to cheat yep. kill her off. She came back yeah. right away. Good Lord, she's in the movie this summer. Oh, you know? wow. She's the villain of the movie. I mean, again, it's like William Moulton Marston or whatever the guy's name was. He had, had created this thing, and now 70 years later, it's a, the the, uh, the villain in a major motion picture blockbuster. It's sort of amazing. <laughs> so so overall, like, what do you think of this as a collection of origin stories? Well, frankly, it's a kind of a lot of second-rate – well, no, not a lot. One Catwoman is a first-rate villain. Yes. Uh, Cheetah, not so much. And Mixie's Pitalik, not at all, really. He's he's a pest. He's not really a villain. Um, and looking at the cover, I don't know. I, I'm not keen on the Bizarro origin story, especially the one that would have been reprinted then. Um, it, I don't know how many good supervillain stories were left at that point because they had already done one volume of with the with what Luthor and Joker and uh, the, the big guns. So it's it's a it's a bizarre little mix of stories, and mm-hmm. reading yeah. the center spread, all those other st- origin stories. I want, I want to read those too. I want to read those yeah. too. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, like, you know, Solomon Grundy would have been yeah. fun or whatever. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. I mean, they said they they didn't do a third one. This was it. This yeah. was the, the they only did the two origin stories. But it, it's sort of funny. I mean, he said like, is Mirror Master like if you compare Mirror Master to the Joker or Luthor or, or Catwoman? He's definitely second tier, yeah. But he's a first tier Flash villain. I mean, he's basically like you know he is one of the Flash villains. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, okay, if you're gonna do, if you're gonna have the heroes represented, um, you should at least you know have the have these first tier of each villain. It's sort of interesting to me that that they even bothered to put like Hawkman on the cover, yeah, because he's not represented here at all. I mean, again, they mentioned Matter Man. He looks great in the lineup. He does, yeah. I mean, again, he looks okay. But, uh, you know, again, and I love Hawkman. I don't mean to diss Hawkman. No, no, but no, an orange shirt would also look good in the lineup. I'll yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, okay. I mean, he said it's, it's, it's a nice collection. I don't think it's necessarily one of DC's, like, best treasuries because, again, I think the yeah. – uh, the the varying styles is a little jarring, and some of the filler material is a little little dodgy here and there. But otherwise, it's still fun, and I certainly love this treasury as a kid. And then on the inside back cover, yeah, so did they, I. I loved it they, just because it only, only had the two treasuries, so I really right, loved right. it. Yeah, on the inside back cover, they actually give a page to Doctor Light, yeah. and he's subtitled "Every Hero's Enemy." 
and there's just a bunch of panel a bunch of stats from covers from Justice League, from Adam, from Green Lantern, from World's Finest, another one from Justice League, and even from JLA number one twenty two, the one where supposedly Aquaman dies. Yeah. And uh, you know, of course, we know what would happen with Doctor Light, and well, he would be sort of disgraced. Yes, he, but he here, went on, he went on to fight the Teen Titans, and that's all I know about Doctor Light, my friend. That's right, exactly, perfect. Nothing happened after that. Yeah, and, and so then, th- this was my introduction to Doctor Light, and then not many months later. I got the the Teen Titans revival with Dark. Oh right, right, right. Part of the Fearsome Five. Yeah, it was that was that was that was that gimmick. It was that Dark Delight has been fighting all the Justice League members, and now he's going to go after the Junior Justice League to see if he can beat them. But this this page on the back, look at that. What do you got? Uh, we got Gil Kane a couple of times. We got Murphy Anderson, Dick Dillon. Dick, is it Dick Dillon? Or is I believe it, it's Dick, Dick Dillon. Uh, oh, I think it is Sikowski. And I think it's Mike before Rell. Dick Dillon took over. Yeah. Yep. I don't know who did the top left. May, that might be Sikowski, too. Oh, that's also Sikowski. That's yeah. Sikowski it's and early Murphy Sikowski, Anderson. early Sikowski. Lower down is yep. later Sikowski. Yep. Oh, but, yeah, Murphy Anderson makes everybody look good. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But, yeah, yeah, it's fun. It's, it's, I like, you know, to find a way to, to, to get uh, one little – they didn't get the origin in, but they get a little history of him, which is yeah. kind of a, a fun thing. Uh, and then on the back cover oh. is the tabletop diorama, uh, which nobody I knew ever would attempt. No. Because the amount of cuts you have to make to Precision make Precision cuts. You would need – you'd have to <laughs> borrow a, a scalpel from – Dr. Ann's going to make Dr. Ann's, exactly. You have to go over to <laughs> Dange's house and do this because I was, you know, what what kid is going to have a, a tool sharp enough yeah. to be able to make these cuts <laughs> properly? No, you would never give a kid anything this – I mean, look at – Try to use those rounded cut, scissors on this. Oh, my God. You would just, I mean, the, 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 just the cut you'd have to make around Captain Boomerang yeah. is like, oh, you need a – yeah, I, this, 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 these are the covers. Nobody's ever going to make these things. But don't you want to find a beat-up copy someday? With the contents all torn up, but the back cover is intact. You know, wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> I mean, maybe so. I mean, you know, possibly. I don't know. I, it's, it's, I don't know if I have the patience. I mean, I would love to make some of these. I will. Oh, I will say yeah. it would have been fun, but I'd have to pick a simpler one. This one's particularly <laughs> complicated. I don't know. Go cutting around Catwoman's leg, her heel, all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, good lord, it's, that's just really tough. So. But so, uh, so yeah, that's Limited Collector's Edition number C45, more Secret Origins of Supervillains. So uh, very cool, Terry. Thank you so much for coming by. This was fun to talk about. This was a, a great pleasure, Rob. Thank you. All right. Well, yeah, thank you so much for, for coming on. You know, we love talking treasuries, and this is a, a fun book. Again, I love looking at that, that major poster image, which you'll be able to see on the website, firewaterpodcast.com. Yep. Oh, there's one more thing I wanted to share about this. Come on, I sure, told you my, right my daughter has, has a bunch of them. Oh, right, right, right. She's a freshman in high school now, but I started sharing comics with her years and years and years ago. Um, she, she reads a whole lot more, but she still has a fondness for the comics. And I was talking, I was telling her that, you know, I got to hurry up, hurry up, I have to get home because I'm, I'm going to be on the podcast. <laughs> and I got to talk about this comic. And she said, wait a second, is that the one with the cheetah? Oh. I said, yeah. Do you remember the story? And she remembered the the, the, uh, the grain silo bit. She remembered the Wonder Woman uh, doing the being chained up for charity bit. And then she remembered uh, the Mirror Master story. And she remembered, and I said, do you remember the Batman story? Oh, that was Catwoman. 
So yeah, and actually, then she said, "I want to read that again." I said, "Well, you have to wait till after I'm done with it." Wow, that's so. So to her modern eyes, this artwork doesn't look just hopelessly just well, old and out of date. My kid is a little bit different. Uh, I shared my comics with her, <laughs> so she, what she likes, to, and her favorites are uh, the archive edition of the Legion of Superheroes. And the uh, the big floppy paperbacks of Supergirl. So what she's used to are Jim Mooney Supergirl drawings and uh, Kurt Swan Legion drawings. Okay. And right. uh, I forget. Oh man, I take away my Legion card. The the artist who preceded Swan. Um, but yeah, she that's that's what she likes. She that's her her aesthetic is is mid century comics. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, that's a wonderful thing. Yeah, I think so. That's, that's really cool. I love that. That's uh, that, that warms my heart that she's there's kids out there that can enjoy this stuff, even though it you know it could look pretty crazy and pretty out of date to kind of modernize well, the modern yeah. sensibility. But that's that's fantastic. Well, that's, this is also my my kid. Sweet. So she listens to Jack Benny every night and she watches oh. Noir Alley every Sunday. Oh, well, they because <laughs> <laughs> she wants to. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. That is very, very cool. All right. Well, excellent. We said, well, Terry, thank you so much for stopping by. Like I said, we had a blast at the Boston Fan Expo. It was so great to be able to get together. It was so fun to um, meet all of y'all. Yeah, it was just, it was really, it was really kind of an amazing experience. We're all walking down the street and all of a sudden this very tall gentleman starts walking towards us and he's like, Shaq Matthews. Rob Kelly. I'm like, what's happening? Who is this person? <laughs> <laughs> so it was great. So I'm really glad. I, I'm, I hope you enjoyed yourself. I, I hope I measured up to the standards set by Siskoid. Oh, my. The first podcast <laughs> that you did. So I'm sure we will. you'll be making uh, future appearances across the network. I, I certainly hope so. I've been talking, uh, I've been communicating with someone else, and something is happening very shortly. Oh, very good. All right. Well, everybody, look, listen out for that. Terry will be appearing on a uh, future show. I'm just chasing Tim now. Price. Okay. <laughs> That's right. Podcrasher Tim Price. That's right. So, all right, everybody. Well, stay tuned. We're going to play some podcast promos. And when I come back, I'm going to do listener feedback. I know it's heartbreaking to have your favorite shows preempted, but look what you're getting instead. TLU Cast brings you Justice League Season 2. Woo! Back in business. The Justice League faces their greatest foes. This is a chance to rid ourselves of the League once and for all. Darkseid. Brainiac. Dr. Destiny. Lex Luthor. Amazo. Vandal Savage. Eclipso. The Joker. Harley Quinn. The Royal Flush Gang. The Secret Society of Supervillains. And themselves? Dale Ucast Season 2, available on iTunes and Apple Podcasts and at firewaterpodcast.com. Always have to be the hero, don't you? Right back at you. Movies, TV, comics, music, pop culture affidavit has it all. It's everything random in the world of popular culture, and it's all covered by me, Tom Panneries. New episodes drop monthly at twotruefreaks.com, and be sure to check out blog posts about random pop culture topics at popcultureaffidavit.com. Pop Culture Affidavit, the sworn testimony of a dork. In 
We're back with feedback for episode 43 of Treasury Cast, which was the Silver Surfer Black episode with Derek William Crabb and Ryan Daly. Uh, these are the comments, of course, from fireandwaterpodcast.com. First up is Edo Boznar. He says, another great episode of Treasury Cast with two bonus guests to boot. Personally, I'm less interested in the story contained in this book than I am the fact that Marvel decided to reprint the Silver Surfer miniseries in the Treasury format. As you said, depending on sales, it'll be interesting to see if more of these will be produced, and if so, which character stories they'll collect, or if the original material will be created specifically for a new line of Treasury-sized comics. Ooh, Adar. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, after looking at the art on the gallery page, I have to say I merely associated with Damien Scott's work. It's very similar to his, for lack of a better term, expressionist colorist style that looks like elaborate hip-hop-inspired graffiti. By the way, you expressed surprise in your feedback section that there was such a high response to the Flintstones treasury. Maybe you're looking at that the wrong way. The response may be due to your show itself and not the actual treasury edition being discussed. Well, thank you, Edo. I appreciate the compliment. But, I mean, it's it, TreasuryCast has a certain baseline of, of an audience, and each episode with, you know, a little bit of variation here and there kind of gets generally the same response. But the Flintstones one, which I thought was a kind of a real outlier to do, got just a ton of response really out of the gate early on. And so that's kind of what I was commenting on. And, and Chris Franklin and I talked about it uh, off air was that I just didn't think that, that the Flintstones Christmas would really be a show that would get people excited, uh, but but yet it seemed to. So, again, I appreciate the compliments, you know, but there was – people really liked that Flintstones treasury. So uh, maybe we'll do the Easter one, Yogi's Easter Parade, when it comes around. Who knows? Uh, Dan S. says, this sounds like a good collection, and those psychedelic spots pages look cool. I think I first saw Silver Surfer on the old original Spider-Man cartoon. Nice one, gents. Uh, the, I'm not, which cartoon are we talking about, Dan? Cause I, I certainly wasn't in the sixties one and I don't think he was on Spider-Man and his amazing friend. So maybe I, I'm not sure how old you are. Maybe you're younger than me and you're thinking of the one from the nineties or something. Uh, cause then if so, I feel really old. Uh, but anyway, I don't recall seeing Silver Surfer on a Spider-Man cartoon, but that's cool that they worked it in. That seems kind of a. It's weird character to throw into Spider-Man, but that, that sounds cool. Uh, Brian Linton says, I've said this before, but I'll say it again. Silver Surfer was one of the first characters I glommed onto when I started collecting comics. I always liked his clean look and mopey monologues. I haven't picked up a Silver Surfer book in decades, and this episode has me regretting that life choice. I may have to head over to Comixology and remedy the situation. In regards to this particular Silver Surfer story, the artwork for this book truly looks vibrant and unique, which I enjoy. I can only imagine what it looks like in the actual Treasury format. Here's hoping this kicks off a revival of the format at Marvel. Finally, I wonder if the Silver Surfer will be rechristened as the Sable Surfer to maintain the alliteration. That's a great question, Brian. I don't know. We'll have to follow that up. Like I said, I'm not reading a lot of current comics, but if there's, I don't know, if there's more Silver Surfer like this, maybe I, maybe I will. Uh, Inno Bozanar returns, and he says, Sable Surfer sounds cool, but when you say it, I immediately picture a little mink-like animal riding a surfboard, which in turn makes me think of the possibilities for a partnership between said surfing Sable and Rocket Raccoon. That would be fun. Marvel should bring back Marvel team up. Uh, uh, Mike Dinas says, uh, excellent episode, everyone. I was very glad to hear the show as I collected these Silver Surfer issues when they came out and would love to see the artwork in a treasury size. Because of a review, you've made me want to go out and get this book. I'm a big fan of Trad Moore ever since his work on The Strange Talent of Luther Strode, which I'd recommend, recommend merely for the Charles Atlas jokes. Rob, your choice of word, phantasmagorical, is a perfect choice. This is certainly a trippy-looking comic. When I read it, I was thinking it was a blend of Kirby's Outer Space and Ditko's Doctor Strange Mindscapes. 
Uh, though I had more digest as a kid, I've really been enjoying this show, and it's made me want to get some of the Treasury comics mentioned. Keep up the great work. Uh, thank you, Mike. Yeah, that that's a really great comparison, um, that this book is kind of like Silver Surfer in a Ditko Doctor Strange story. I never really made that connection until you said it, but yeah, that's actually uh, really accurate. Because and then then that makes me think how cool it would be to do a Doctor Strange story uh, by these by these creators too. That would be really neat. So again, Marvel, get get on that. Gothos Mansion says I got my copy of this Treasury from Instock Trades, and it was on their top ten bestsellers on the main page. I don't know how that translates to real sales, however. The psychedelic artwork always looked great at the larger size, but I would have liked a more definitive ending. Really, I don't buy a lot of new comics and bought this one because it was a Treasury. Yeah, I, I hear that, Gothos. I mean, definitive endings, I mean, do we even have them anymore in superhero comics? Um, but uh, I, I hear what you're saying. But, I mean, I did, it did feel like it was something of a complete piece at least. But, yeah, and I, I'd love to see, as I mentioned, what they do with this, if they follow up, if he continues on as this character or something else. I'm not sure. And then, uh, finally, Martin Gray says, I'm like Rob. I always found the Sword Surfer palatable as a guest non-team member, but not as a star. Way too much speechifying and whining. At least you never got eaten by Galactus, Norrin. I did read most of the slot. All read stuff and enjoyed it a lot, probably because it was especially, it was like especially flighty Doctor Who. But I love the show because it's Treasury cast. I'm with Edo. Uh, <laughs> sounds like a t-shirt. Again, th- thank you, uh, Martin. Yeah, I... I I've just never been able to handle the Silver Surfer as a solo character. But as I mentioned, I do want to read the slot all red stuff. I've heard of that. It's really good and a lot more fun. So I will have to give that a try. And you know, they should do that. It's true. I mean, I say that about everything. They should do everything as a treachery. Uh, but anyway, that's the <laughs> – thanks, everybody, for the comments on uh, the Silver Surfer Black episode with uh, Derek and Ryan. Big thanks to Terry O'Malley for stopping by, his first appearance on Treasury Cast. That's probably the – this is the first time I could think of where I've – I think I've met someone first before they were a guest on the show in terms of nuclear subs. So that was kind of a fun thing because, uh, of course, we met Terry at the Boston uh, Fan Expo last year. So I'm glad to finally have him on Treasure Cast to talk about a classic uh, DC limited collector's edition, Treasury, Secret Origins, Supervillains, Can't Beat That Stuff. So I guess that is going to do it. Of course, uh, we're always talking Treasuries over on Twitter, which is at Treasury Comics. You can find back episodes of the show on the website, finewaterpodcast.com. We're on Stitcher. We're on on uh, Spotify now, too. I should mention we're on Spotify. Uh, and, of course, on Apple Podcasts. And if you want to support the network, go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast. And there you can pledge at different levels and unlock different rewards, one of which is to be name-checked on a show of your choice. So if you really love Treasury Cast and you want to be name-checked on the show, just go over to patreon.com slash fwpodcast and uh, leave us a ongoing uh, donation. So I guess that is going to do it. Again, thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you for the next episode. Until then, go big or go home. Looks like you're about to catch a very bad case of cat scratch fever, Batman. You're the one who's caught Catwoman in the crooked claws of crime.